Welcome to Shift, a college admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable. We have an affordable ACT course that includes everything you need to ace your exam. A full textbook, tons of ACT questions backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off. Now, let's get started. So today, we've got Shane Bybee on the line with us again from Bybee College Prep. Shane, do you mind just giving a quick intro for yourself? Absolutely, Tyler. Thanks for having me on again. Um, my name's Shane Bybee. I, I run a uh, college prep company in a suburb of Dallas, Texas, uh, called Bybee College Prep. Uh, we work with around 300 or so students a year, helping them organize their college applications, improve their SAT and ACT scores, and, and trying to help families navigate this crazy college admissions process. Yeah, fantastic. And so today we're going to be talking about one of the things that it sounds like you've got a lot of expertise in, uh, which is tips for minimizing your student loans or maybe minimizing just like the bill yeah. <laughs> is another way of putting it. Uh, yeah. And I, I, expertise, I don't know. I've got a lot of passion for it. Uh, I definitely have a lot of mm-hmm. passion for it. Um, it's, 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 we're, I was reading this weekend. Uh, I'm, re- I'm reading, I'm rereading finally a, a great book called The Debt Trap. It was written about a year ago. And talk talks about the history of college loans, but um, mm-hmm. just this weekend I was reading some stuff about uh, the college loan situation that we're in, about uh, whether or not President Biden has the authority to to forgive ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars in loans. And mm-hmm. one of the things I didn't fully, I think the debt, I can't remember which article talks about this, but you know we've got a situation where seventy percent of high school students are going to college immediately after graduation seventy percent mm-hmm. and um so much of the time we read these articles where you know one of the articles I read this weekend was about a kid a lady who had uh hundred and twenty thousand dollars in debt and she was a teacher and without Boy. being too harsh. Those are some terrible decisions because going in as a teacher, you knew you were going to make, you know, in Texas, you might make $55,000 a year after, after you graduate, right. you know, you know that going in, um, in Oklahoma, it's like $38,000, $40,000, different places, different. So in, in, I think in Rochester, New York, it's, you know, $80,000 or something like that. It's always, Rochester's always one of the best places to be a, one of the highest teaching salaries. But if you know you're going to have a salary of fifty-eight, dollars $50,000 a year, making choices that help you avoid the debt is critical. And, you know, one of the things you have to stop and think about is how important is the name on your diploma to, to that first job? Because if you want to be a teacher, if you want to be a nurse, um, if you want to be, you know, uh, um, it, most, if you want to be a police officer, if you want to be a, almost anything, the name on the diploma is relatively irrelevant. It is, mm-hmm. it's, it, you're going to have to do some credentialing. You're going to have to pass certain tests uh, and, and those are what's going to determine whether or not you get your license to teach or your you become a registered nurse or whatever. And they're not going to be nearly as interested as did you go to this school or that school in order to get there. So with that in mind, you know, the example I get is if, if, if SMU here in Dallas, SMU, Southern Methodist University, costs about $80,000 a year to go to. 
and 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 or Baylor University down in Waco near here costs about seventy five thousand dollars a year full price. If you're full price, that's what it's going to be. I think the average net price is something like fifty ish. I mean, seventy five thousand dollars a year. That's a total of three hundred grand. Yeah, yeah. And it, let's be realistic. Let's be realistic. There are there are there are families out there that that they understand that the person where you go to college, you're likely to meet the person that you're going to fall in love with and get married, at least for your first marriage. And, um, <laughs> the go on for this. I mean, I, I have a practice marriage. I understand how that works. Um, no, they, they understand that that's going to happen and they want, and, and that's a factor. I get everything. But if, if you're going to go to SMU and you can afford to go to SMU and write the check to SMU, Fantastic. But the average net price at SMU is $50,000, $53, I think, $1,000 a year on average net price at the top income level. So if, if, you're, if that's your situation and you don't have $53,000 in the bank every year to pay, you're going to start taking on debt. And that, mm-hmm. that debt, you know, we, we have a thing called the College App Camp. And in the last hour of our college app camp every year, we talk with our students about what does that student debt look like? What was just just the $27,500 that the federal government gives everybody, right? And it's at about 4.5% interest now. What does that debt look like when you start making payments on that debt down the road? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other aspects. We're kind of a little unorganized in how I'm approaching this right now. I apologize for that. But there's other aspects to it because some people will go into that debt and they'll be told, yeah, but uh, you can do this. You can do the debt forgiveness plan. What's not mentioned in that is you're still going to have to do 120 payments uh, before you ever considered for that debt. Before you're considered for that debt forgiveness, you're going to have to complete 120 payments, 10 years worth of payments on that debt. Um, and the other thing that's not mentioned is you're going to have to work in a title one school, a school that has a very high free or reduced lunch rate. And there's nothing to knock those schools out, but that's, you know, a lot of people will think about where they went to high school and they may not realize that you're going to have to go, you're going to work in a high school that is a very challenging environment to work in. Very challenging. I've got mm-hmm. a couple of former students that are working in Title I schools and it was eye-opening to them. I worked in one as myself during my teaching career. It's eye-opening to them the difference, just the cultural separation that you have. But that gets left out of the story. Instead, it's, oh, and then you can get debt forgiveness and you'll be fine. If you can, if, if it is at all possible to avoid student debt beyond that, like I said, that 27.5. So this is probably a good time to talk about the different ways student debt's going to happen. Um, yeah. Just about everyone, without getting into too much of the history of it, but just about everyone is offered um, a direct student loan. Every student gets offered that. Most students, it's going to be an unsubsidized loan. Mm-hmm. The, the subsidized versus unsubsidized on a subsidized loan. It means that the federal government is paying your interest. They're going to pay mm-hmm. the interest on the loan. You're not going to have to pay that back. The only way you qualify for a subsidized loan is if you also, also qualify for a Pell Grant. Right. So that's, so it's pretty hard to get. It's very hard to get. Cause if you know what's happened to Pell Grants, that's been cut down, cut down, cut down. It's, you have to be, uh, you have to, you have to be under the poverty level for a family of four is, is the study on, on Pell Grants. So most students are going to get a subsidized, an unsubsidized direct student loan. And the amount you get each year is capped. Um, your freshman year, you can get a maximum of $5,500. 
your junior sophomore year, a maximum of $6,500, your junior and senior year, a maximum of $7,500. That's $27,500. Now the interest starts accruing on that loan as soon as you take it out. So that $5,500 you took out as a freshman is not going to be $5,500 whenever you graduate. It's going to start accruing immediately. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to start making payments on it as long as you are still a full-time student. So payments are deferred as long as you're still a full-time student, either because you graduate or because you stop taking college, you stop going to college. And usually where we hear about students getting into trouble is whenever they haven't finished college. But we can leave that for another mm-hmm. conversation. That's twenty-seven. That's $5,500. So here you are wanting to go to a Baylor or an SMU. With a net, an average net price of $50,000 and the federal government says, here's $5,500. Where are you going to make up that other $45,000? You know, maybe your family can put $10,000, $12,000 to it. And so the other money that's not capped are the, are the plus loans. And these are the ones that, that are where people get in trouble because plus loans are not capped. They are given uh, based on your credit rating. So that is a factor. Um, as, as a student or like the parents credit rating that's well, the first plus loans are as a student parent plus loans are as a parent. So parent plus loans can go to the parents as well. So there's two separate pots, separate loan entities there. Um, again, not capped. So you can get as much money as that loan company is willing to give you right through the parent loans. Right. Those loans are, as people know, if you've read the news now, those loans are, um, backed by the government and they are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. So the only way, there's only three ways to get rid of those loans, pay them off, um, get them forgiven or pass away. And then the money is going to be donated, uh, deducted from your estate. So the, 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 the loan agency is still going to get theirs, but, um, you're not gonna have to worry about it anymore. So that's, that's the way that it's, um, it's stuck with you because they're not dischargeable in bankruptcy. Um, so if you're here, you're at SMU, it sounds great. Okay, we can, they're going to get parent plus loans and they're going to give you, you know, so we got it down to what, what we got to $28,000, $25,000. That's $100,000 debt when you graduate from college for a $55,000 a year job. That does not make any sense. The average, average salary on graduation right now, according to Glassdoor last year was, or maybe indeed, but it's about $50,000 a year is the average starting salary for a college graduate. Now, again, for all careers, not just teachers across the board, across the board, all careers. And, you know, the thing about it, I use teachers as an example, because I know a lot about that. I was in education for so long. But the other thing about a teacher, right? If you're a $55,000 a year starting salary, 10 years later, your starting salary might be $60,000, $62,000 a year. It's not going up. It doesn't go up very much every year. Whereas now, if you're an engineer, right? If you're a, a computer science major who's going to get a great job, um, maybe not working at Twitter these days. I hear that's a little rough. But um, <laughs> maybe, you know, getting a great job in, in, the, in, in, in that industry doing things. Well, that's going to be uh, opportunities. And there's going to be bonuses in there and things like that that you're going you're gonna to have uh, – access to. So right. maybe, maybe it makes more sense if you're going to be an engineer, if you're going to be, if, if you're going into finance where you're going to know, you're going to get a job that you know is going to pay at a certain level, that might make more sense, but avoiding student loans. So the other side of it is if you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, what 
as far as your professional aspirations go, what benefit does having that degree from SMU do for you over having a degree? You know, we, we had a client in not too long ago. In a previous episode, you and I talked about building a college list and trying to find that college list that was really right for you. This young lady wants to be a drill team coach. She wants to graduate from college and get a, get a job at a high school coaching a drill team. She's on the drill team at her high school. And so we were talking with her and, and she had all these schools on her list about UT and, all, and, and my operations manager and I both talked to her and we said, why aren't you looking at Texas State? Um, in San Marcos. And she's like, well, that's, that's a party school. And I'm like, Yo, okay, you know what every college is? Every college is a party school, um, you know, except for you, Chicago. We all know that's not true, but um, <laughs> every college is a party school. Um, so go to tech. But we told her, you know, Texas State way, way back in the day was called, was called Southwest Texas Teachers College. That was, it's where Lyndon Baines Johnson got his, co- his college degree, right? That's, it was a teacher's college. It's in its DNA. So in the state of Texas, number one, you're located right there near Austin. So you're located in a very high population area. You start talking about your first job that you get out of college. They're going to be just school districts all over the place are going to be at that school looking for candidates to get their, get that first job. You would be better off for just, just for professional reasons to go to Texas state. You're going to have more opportunities than at SMU. On top of that, for financial reasons, you're going to be tons better off because Texas State's average net price, I think, is like fifteen or eighteen thousand dollars a year. So mm-hmm. avoiding student loan debt, you know, we talk about that. And, and one of the problems I have, one of the problems I have with the current administration's idea of forgiving student debt isn't political at all. I'm not want to get into the whole you're gonna I paid my student. No, forgiving ten thousand dollars, forgiving twenty thousand dollars doesn't fix the problem. And we're going to be right back in this same problem four or five years from now, maybe six years from now. So the problem you have to fix is looking at those finances early on and deciding based on those finances, what can we, and having that conversation with students at the very beginning, here's how much money we can afford for you to go to college without taking on debt. And then there's lots of ways. Me personally, I was a first generation college student. And um, I went to, I, I joined the army. I, I got an army ROTC scholarship. So not intentionally, but uh, my sophomore year of college, it became really clear that paying for the rest of college was going to be difficult. The army offered me a two-year scholarship that was going to pay for the rest of it. And I took it and I did eight years of service. And that was fantastic for me. ROTC scholarships are a fantastic way to pay for college. Um, it, it is going to come with a military commitment of eight years after you graduate. Um, but again, you're going to have a guaranteed job for eight years after you graduate. And, uh, or if you go active, active duty, you will. And then, um, and, and it, it gives you lots of good experiences. Whatever you can do to avoid taking out the, any loans beyond the direct loans. The direct loans... We even, when we, when we lay it out for students, we show them like what an apartment's going to cost and what utilities cost. And we start breaking it down Mm -hmm. on a $50,000 scholarship with the payment on a $27,500 note. You've got about a hundred dollars a month left over uh, to pay, Mm -hmm. to just to pay to, to, to live in here in Dallas. 
And, and so, and, and we always tell the kids, you haven't bought a couch, you haven't bought a TV, you haven't bought a bed yet. And you've got about a hundred dollars left every month mm-hmm. of what you got to do. And that's, you know, we talked in our last episode about looking at college, not as the destination, but as a milestone, as a, some, some place mm-hmm. on the way to your bigger destination. That's key here too. Thinking about how much am I going to be in debt? How much am I going to be uh, owing? And, you know, I have even touched on income sharing agreements. Have you, have you heard about these? No, I haven't. So but there's I a get the, the ideas like based on the name, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's exactly what it says. Right. So it did come out of the, out of the coding world uh, where a lot of these coding schools that came up in the, maybe the around the early teens um, would, would the people could go to the school for free, but then you shot, you, you signed an income share agreement where you would share 5% of your income for 10 years after you graduated from the school for your first year for your employment. And uh, Purdue, uh, I need to follow up and see where they are on it now, but Purdue was a big proponent of this under Mitch Daniels, their their president. They were a big proponent of these ISAs. Uh, The problem for me with ISAs is twofold. One, they are funded by venture capitalists, right? And the venture capitalists are extremely practical, I guess, in their assessment of things. And we're already seeing the data I saw most recently did show that if you're an education major, um, you're going to get offered less than if you're an engineer yeah. or if you're a computer science major. And that makes sense. It's, it, it's not debating it, but that's the reality of it. Uh, but then you do, as a part of that ISA, you agree to share a certain percentage of your income for, for 10 years. And it, mm-hmm. and it's not 10 calendar years. That's the other thing about like loan forgiveness that people don't pick up on. It's not, you're not just going to have to put in your time for 10 years. The way they gauge that 10 years is 120 months of payments. Um, whatever those payments are. So yeah, there's ISAs are another way. I think they have some good things to them, some things to be said for them. And it's not, again, it's not so much, you know, uh, uh, indentured servitude is what I thought it might've been, but it, you're still talking about, I mean, if you make, um, you know, a hundred thousand, if you do get that engineering job that has $80,000 a year coming out of college, well, that's $8,000 you're probably paying back to that ISA for 10 years. Um, so or is it 5% or 10%? Some of the ISAs now are saying 10%. Um, you, 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 that's part of the agreement. 10, 10% is a really big haircut. Yeah. Like 5% to me felt kind of reasonable because essentially they're shouldering the risk. Mm-hmm of how much money you're going to make versus with student loans, you're shouldering all of the risk because you're just paying up front and you have no idea how Mm -hmm. much money you're going to make. Yeah. So I was like, okay, 5% feels fair. 10% doesn't really feel fair. 10% gets pretty rough. That feels feels rough. Yeah. And so, Um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. uh, So so yeah, it'd be, you know, you're talking about paying back $80,000 and and what are you likely to get on that $80,000? Do you get $60,000 of, uh, scholarship or, or it's not even scholarship about tuition help while you're there. Yeah. And so the, the, the number one way to avoid uh, student debt is with your college list. Um, there's some other things you mm-hmm. can do as well. And some things people don't realize is that a lot of times, um, you know, when the parent gets their statement that says, hey, this is how much college is going to cost. The, the, mm-hmm. the, there's, if you ever look at those statements, some of them are very good and very straightforward, but most of them are not. And they're going to have things like, um, um, what's the, the work study. They're going to give you a line item for work study. Uh, and it's usually $3,000 that they're going to do. And I, I, I read in the, in the Facebook parent groups, 
things that people don't realize about work study. Uh, one, there has to be a work study job available for the student when they get on campus. May or may not be the mm-hmm. case because work study is federally funded, right? And so they, right. there's a finite number of those. So the student may not have that spot. Second thing they don't realize is that work study money isn't going to the registrar and it's not coming to the parents. That work study money is going into the student's bank account. And so I'm, it's not clear if that money is going to go to beer or books once it's actually in the account. And so, um, you know, leaning on that work study line item is, is misleading. But even worse, as you start breaking it down, it's going to tell you what the parent is expected to pay. And they do it that way because the parents start coming up with some present day bias justifications. You know, well, we can we can do it today because you're going to make so much money down the road that it's not, you know, you can get what you want right now. And um, if they could go in, two things they can do when they get that statement. One of the things they can do is you can always go back and appeal the decision and give some grounds for why, why you think you deserve more merit money or more grant money or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's one. And colleges will keep back. They do keep back a certain percentage of the funds that they have specifically for those appeals. The second thing I mentioned in our last episode briefly, a, a website called tuitionfit.org. Mm-hmm. And what uh, what the folks at Tuition Fit have done is they are collecting statements from students and families from colleges. And it's a place where you can go in and you can compare the offer you've been given to what families with similar circumstances were also offered. And you can really do a, an informed uh, uh, comparison and, and find out right. if you're being offered that thing. And then we talked also about College Navigator as a great site, just to find out what you should probably be, what on average, based on your income bracket, you might be seeing as a um, break. But back to SMU, right? If the average net price at SMU is $50,000 for a family in the top quintile, well, the top quintile is $110,000. I don't know many families making $110,000, $115,000 that just have $50,000 laying around they can go put into college, especially well, if they've got to put year. More, Yeah, every, for four years, especially if they've got multiple kids that they're going to try to get through college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that, that like the sort of summary of a lot of this stuff and kind of the key thing that you said in my mind earlier was that like we need to change the conversation around college because right now the conversation around college is what's the best school you can get into? It's not about like where can you afford to go or where can your family afford to go. Like that's almost always secondary and it's usually not even kind of thought about until it's too late, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think you said on the other episode, like if you think it's hard telling a kid, no, you can't apply to XYZ school now, just wait till they get in and then you can't afford it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it, it needs to be a bigger part of the conversation. You know, the people that are spending, you know, $200,000 $200,000 to get it to get a degree in a field that pays $65,000, $70,000 a year. Like it's too common. It's a big part of the reason why there's so much student debt now. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's the other side of it too, which is college administration costs have skyrocketed, which is why tuition skyrocketed. But at the end of the day, you know, you're the customer and you get to decide what you're buying. Mm-hmm. And, right. Yeah. 
and college costs are college costs are untethered to reality. Like when you and I run a business, yeah. right? You, you know how much it costs you to deliver achievable to someone who logs in. So you know based on that, and you know what the market will allow for, and you can figure out things out. College costs aren't that way. They just kind of figure a three percent increase every year, and then if they need to do more than that, they do. I mean, you can go see again back through College Navigator. You can see very consistently just a, a two and a half to three percent increase in costs pretty much every year. Um, and, right, uh, and I mean, it, it's crazy. So a, a story related to that from my, um, I had a friend who worked at a um, a private online university, but their idea was that they wouldn't take student loans and they would charge like $500 a month. And so it was meant to be like an accessible way to get a college degree without student loans. And it was really, really hard to convince users to sign up because people were happier signing up for 70K a year in loans or whatever mm-hmm. because they, they felt like it was free money. Yeah. Like it's just like the education around the money part of college is, is really lacking right now. This has been Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world, hosted by Tyler from Achievable. You can try our ACT course for free at achievable.me and you can use the code podcast to get 10% off.